Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Seth Partnow is in the building and we are going to talk about the massive NBA player tiers project that he just completed over at The Athletic. He ranked, sort of ranked, I guess. I don't know that I want to say ranked, <laughs> but uh, he put down the top 125 players into five separate tiers didn't rank within the tiers, but did uh, rank overall, I would say. So Seth, how you doing, man? It's good to get back on the phone with you. Uh, these are not rankings. <laughs> um, they are, they are, they're groupings rather than rankings. Yeah. Um, I, That's I a good word that, for it. It's almost yeah. like you're practiced right now in terms of the terminology for them. Yeah, um, but I think that, that your, your kind of main area of expertise, the draft is kind of the one area of player evaluation where a forced one through X ranking makes sense. Yeah. Uh, everywhere else, I think that it can almost obscure more than it illuminates. So I kind of prefer to, to, to group players together because within these groups, it's, you know, who would you rather have? Well, it depends. What else do I have? What am I trying to do? Um, you know, what, what's the situation matters as much to your answer as to which player you think is a little tiny bit better than another. Well, to be honest as well, I mean, it's the same in the draft. Like there's a reason that every year I tear guys out, uh, as opposed to just ranking them one to a hundred. Like I have tiers this year. There are no top tier players. Uh, there are only a few, t- even tier two guys, in my opinion. So, I could not agree more with this methodology. I think it's a really smart way to go about looking at the NBA as a whole over a big picture uh, perspective. And I'm excited to talk about a lot of it with you, but I guess that I want to first just kind of ask you why and what your methodology was here. Well, I mean, the, the first why is that is, is I hate your favorite team, uh, listener, yes. whatever your, whatever your favorite team is, I hate them. Um, all of them equally. Um, so th- this sort of grows out of, of kind of an exercise you do, you know, internally with a team. You need to have a, yep. uh, a snapshot of, of where your team is. And also you kind of need to, to do the work beforehand. Um, in terms of how you value players relative to each other, um, both internally and externally around the league, um, just to help facilitate kind of, uh, whether it's free agency trade, what have you discussions, um, you don't always have time to run back and run all the numbers on, on everything. You kind of, you have to do a little bit of ballparking first to even know if something's worth continuing, continue, uh, excuse me, continuing to talk about. Um, especially in an off season like this one where it seems like, uh, everything's going to be pretty, uh, compressed. Um, having, you know, it's, it's not quite like having, you know, a down distance chart for, you know, or a, a score chart for going for two or something like that in football, but there's a little bit of, of doing your work early. So you have a, a really good sense of, of, of who fits where. Yeah. And, you know, I, I do rookie scale rankings every year as well. And this year I tried to do tiers within the rookie scale rankings and, 
those can even be a little bit different because whereas I'm also projecting in like potential upside long term, you're not doing that with these. This is all what a player is right now, correct? For the most part, I think there's a there's a couple players in there, especially this year's rookies, where there's yeah. a little bit of projection because I'm I'm really like concerned about you know title aspirations for next year. So you do have to build in for, you know, Zion Williamson, John Morant, and even some of the, the, the younger guys, you know, Trey Young or something like that. Build in a little bit of, of, okay, I think he's going to get some amount better. Um, and, you know, for, especially for, for Zion and Ja, they're as high as they are in the tiers because they were, they were, um, you know, in very limited action for Zion, but across the whole season for Ja were really excellent as rookies. Um, for rookies. Uh, and that's, you know, you have to, to credit that and figure that, you know, with a year or part of a year under their belt, they'll, they'll, they'll be some figuring out what this NBA basketball thing is going into year two. So who I guess will be the guys that you, who's the guy that you've gotten the most pushback for not including? For not including at all or yes. for where they are? For not including um, it all. Let's start at the bottom first. Um, let me see. We've gotten some flack for Lonzo Ball, for Will Barton, uh, for... Um, it's interesting because I would probably have Will Barton over like Royce O'Neal, yeah. for instance. But yeah, yeah no, I understand uh, where you're going uh, with Kelly that. Kelly Oubre, um, kind of that uh, level of player. Um, um yeah, uh, Marcus Morris got a little bit uh, the, that, and these are these are all guys that if I had you know really uh, based on the research to to that that uh, I did that that illuminates kind of the size of what the tiers should be. Um, hundred stopping at one hundred and twenty five was arbitrary. If I was actually going to do that whole kind of group of tier five, it would have been one hundred and thirty five, one hundred and forty. But you know we like nice round numbers as people. And so I just was like 125 stop. Um, and so there were some, you know, there, there were some definitely, you know, guys who got left on the cutting room floor who, you know, are right there, you know, Dorian Finney Smith, like right there with the, with the guys who are in tier five. Well, I, I like the fact that you did 125 because as you kind of mentioned in the intro as well, it's a really nice cutoff for these are the players who are, top half of the league rotation players because there is something like let's say 250 to 260 or so rotation yeah, players in the nba at any time give or take yeah so cutting it off at above average rotation players i think is a good way to go about it um i guess that the next question that i would have is how much did the playoffs this year play into it? Because there's the idea of, and I want to get into this in a little bit more depth later, but like, for instance, you have Seth Curry here, which is not someone that I would include in this thing. You have Royce O'Neal, who's pretty good in the playoffs uh, from, you know, the limited time that he played against Denver, right? Uh, you have Contavious Caldwell Pope, who was a standout this year in the playoffs. You have Josh Richardson, who I thought did pretty well defensively in the playoffs, particularly Jeremy Grant's another one here that uh, had a standout playoffs. Jay Crowder as well. How much did 
this season's playoffs end up changing your list because for you know, to take people behind the curtain. I mean, this is a project that you had been working on for quite a long time. Uh, you know, it, it went through fits and starts due to the pandemic. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's funny. All those players you named are players that would have made the lists and be about where they were with the possible exception of Jeremy Grant, um, before the playoffs. Um, mm-hmm. you know, Royce O'Neill, Seth Curry, uh, I, I think are, very good underrated players. Um, yep. You know, like Seth Curry is not a star, but in terms of a guy that will be helpful for a, a, a contending team, I mean, he's, he is, you know, one of the more underrated, better, versatile shot makers in the league. And sure, he doesn't have great point guard skills and he's maybe a little bit small defensively and stuff like that. But, um, you know, you can never have too much shooting and a guy who can, you know, shoot off the dribble, shoot off the move, shoot off the catch, mid range, finish at the rim surprisingly well, given everything else. Um, you know, he can, he can score. So, and he can score efficiently. Um, which is a pretty good role player profile. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because. And I struggle this with, struggle with this with draft evaluation as well. And it's part of the reason that you did this project in tiers as opposed to a ranking. Someone like Seth Curry is a very situational player. He's someone that could work on a lot of teams because just being an elite shooter is very helpful. But he's one who works considerably better when there's a big wing that can initiate offense for him. Uh, for instance, the Lakers would be a great fit for Seth Curry. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of Toronto, I think would be a great fit for Seth Curry. Uh, Dallas would be a great fit for Seth Curry, his current spot. Yeah. yeah. But even a team like the Clippers, for instance, they do have big initiators in Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, but because those big initiators are not particularly great passers, I worry about how much they would take advantage of Seth Curry. And and I look at Seth Curry and wonder, like, how big of a difference is there between him and, say, Bryn Forbes? Like, Seth is probably a slightly better shooter than Bryn Forbes, and that difference does matter quite a bit more uh, the higher you go, like going from being a 39% 39% three-point shooter to a 42% three-point shooter is a tangible market difference in terms of the way that you get defended. But is it big enough to like change a tier level of difference? I, I don't know. I mean, can you kind of explain uh, explain situational factors in terms of uh, how you evaluate players going into something like this? So that's a that's a a really good question, and this is supposed to be to as the degree possible sort of context agnostic. Um, so a guy who fits in any circumstances probably gets a little bit of a bump in terms of he fits on any team this well, as opposed to a guy who maybe only half the league could use but would be slightly better. Which one do you prefer? I don't know. That's why you, that's, that's kind of why you do tiers to begin with. 
um, the specific comparison of, of Forbes and Curry, I think, in addition to being a slightly better shooter, I think Curry's a slightly more versatile shooter. Um, especially, um, well, I think Bryn's a pretty good shooter off movement too, but I think off the dribble, especially, I think is, is really where there's a, a separation there. And that's not a, um, you know, for a lower down the rotation guy, that's not a huge, um, thing that's called upon, but it's certainly a nice thing to have, to have, yeah. you know, uh, the, you know, that your fourth option on offense, be able to shot clock running down, the ball finds him, he can make a play. When going through a tiering process, how much of this comes down to positional scarcity? Uh, how much of it comes down to positional value? For instance, uh, there are a lot of centers in tier five, right? Mm-hmm. You have Andre Drummond, Al Horford, uh, Christian Wood, I consider a center. Uh, Daniel Tice is here. DeAndre Ayton is here. Uh, Mark Gasol is in this tier somewhere. I believe you have Serge Ibaka somewhere in this tier. Steven yeah. Adams is here. Uh, Jonas Valanciunas. Jonas Valanciunas is in this tier as well. Aaron Baines is in this tier. You have a lot of centers and you have kind of pushed them down into tier five. Is there even a case to push them lower? Like is... Could Derek Favors have fit into this tier, given that there's not like a marked difference between Derek Favors? Like, I think Derek Favors is probably a better player than Jared Allen right now. But again, like, you kind of have to account for Jared Allen probably being a better, you know, asset long term uh, if we're starting well, maybe is, even as soon is, as next year. On, on a good team, is I think on a good team, Jared Allen's a better player. Um, I think his, his kind of, his dynamism in as, as kind of a, a pick and dive guy. Um, and as a more mobile rim protector, I, th- I think in in a team that needs more out of their five favors might give a little bit more. But for that team is not a probably not a championship level or a contention level team. Yeah, I, I think Derek's a better defender right now than Jared is as a whole. Uh, I get that Jared is a good shot blocker. I think that the totality of his rim protection is... Yeah, that's fair. Slightly worse than what the shot blocking numbers would like have you believe. And uh, Derek is just a lot better away from the basket than someone like Jared is. But that's like kind of getting into the weeds on this, right? Like my yeah. point is more that, you know, there are these guys like Derek Favors, for instance, or like a, uh, I mean, like DeAndre Jordan's probably a step below these guys. But do you have uh, Miles Turner in tier four? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you have Turner in like a tier four. You have Montres Harrell in a tier four. Um, there are so many of these centers and I just wonder like, is someone like Harrison Barnes or Kelly Oubre just more inherently valuable due to positional scarcity? So that's an interesting question. And I think, uh, uh, um, uh, Todd Whitehead. Uh, I feel like I'm grilling you right now and I don't, no, don't mean sorry. to be no, grilling it, you. It, it, no, 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 it's a, no, it's a perfectly fair question. I think Todd Whitehead did a, did a, uh, at crumpled jumper on Twitter. Uh, did an, I, I just talked to Todd yesterday. Todd is yeah. one of the smartest people writing and creating content about basketball that exists on this planet. Uh, I would, as Seth just said, crumpled jumper, please go, uh, go follow him. So he, he did it. He did a, a, you know, he, 
categorize players basically into ball handlers, wings, and, and rim protectors uh, based on, on on some quick and dirty metrics. And yep. if you look at each category, um, there's a there's broadly similar um, number of players of each. There's more wings. Uh, than there are either of the other two categories. And that kind of makes sense just, you know, looking at the positional spectrum. Um, but the ball handlers are kind of, of shifted up a tier, um, to relative to wings who are shifted up a tier relative to bigs. Uh, because, and I think that, I think that's right because I think that that reflects sort of the, uh, balance of, of skill power in today's NBA. But even though ball handlers are more important, I don't think that means the, you know, the 40th best um, uh, ball handler is more valuable to a top team than the 20th or 25th uh, big because sure. there's still, you know, especially in a playoff setting, there's still a zero sum thing going on here. So, you know, you get to a point where, okay, maybe on some sort of absolute skill spectrum, the, the smaller guy is quote better, but relative to like what his, his, you know, not to be reductive, but what his matchup is going to be in a high level playoff series, that guy loses every matchup. Whereas, you know, maybe the, the, the middle tier center wins some and loses some. And I think that's a big deal, right. uh, especially looking towards the playoffs. Right. And I think that having someone like Andre Drummond and having someone like, DeAndre Ayton, guys who average, you know, 18 and 12, or in Andre's case, like 15 and 15, right? Having those guys in the same tier as someone like Jeremy Grant or Jay Crowder, who probably aren't like consistent 10 point per game scorers necessarily, or Maxi Kleba, uh, who kind of plays like as a nebulous, definitionally big, Right. Uh, having someone like that is almost inherently in the same tier. I mean, having those guys in the same tier ultimately does kind of speak to moving bigs down a level almost. Right. And creating a positional scarcity argument at the end of the day. I, I just, I think that you handled it right. And I, I'm not even criticizing. Like, I think that you've, done this really really well uh i just find those conversations really interesting trying to determine what is the value of an andre drummond versus a jeremy grant honestly i think i'd probably rather have jeremy grant right now i think in most situations i agree however that's it's it's very difficult for us who are really like immersed in this um how much how much it's impossible for in the back of your mind, man, Andre Drummond makes so much money. And, and the, I'm trying to be contract agnostic here. So, right. you know, on, on same, same money, who would you rather have? I think for most teams, I'd probably rather have Jeremy Grant, but I can, I, it's not too hard to conceive of a situation where, uh, Andre Drummond would, would be more useful to, to a team. Um, you know, his, his name came up. I, I forget what podcast I was listening to as far as Andre Drummond somehow getting traded to the Warriors. I was like, that kind of makes sense, actually. Um, I, I, I kind of think that, that, you know, relative to what they have now, like Andre Drummond would bring more to the Warriors than Jeremy Grant. Now, Jeremy Grant is probably a better player right now than Andrew Wiggins, but I think, 
Andre Drummond's a a more better than Kevon Looney or whoever else they're gonna they're gonna use when they want to play a five than Grant would be. So that that kind of gets into the, um, you know, who else you got? Um, question that means guys are probably in in if not the same, at least a similar tier. It'd be really funny. Uh, to see like the Cavs go, we'll trade Andre Drummond and number five for number two, even though that's like not a deal that can work financially. Like Andre Drummond does not fit within the trade exception, but like just right. seeing the takes that would happen for Andre Drummond getting traded for a three spot jump on the draft, uh, that, that'd just be very, very interesting to me to see I mean, how people drafts, would value Makes sense. I think it makes sense in this draft if they could do it. Like, I think the Cavs should absolutely do that if they, if it was, uh, feasible in terms of, right. uh, the cap. Yes. Yeah. I'd be like, yes, do that. But it, it doesn't really work cap legally. So the next kind of question that's worth bringing up here for me is. Someone like Al Horford had a really terrible year this year. I would imagine Al Horford probably would have been somewhere in tier four last year. Could maybe make case tier three. Yeah. I like, I've been a big Al Horford guy for a long time. Um, yeah. And, um, and that, that's one I was maybe, maybe a touch harsh on, but, um, well, you have him below Montrez Harrell, and there's no circumstance yeah, I mean, where I would take Montrez Harrell over <laughs> Al Horford. Uh, I mean, I think Philly would have been better this year if they had had Harrell instead of Horford. The funny thing but, is, I don't think I agree with that. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, <laughs> no, but like, so, so like the, the stuff that, that made you think that Horford could maybe work next to him be just didn't, you know, especially the. Right. You know, the, the, the shooting, which was the kind of thing you, you kind of talked yourself into, didn't really manifest itself in a meaningful way. And that, uh, and, and, and so that's probably, probably part of the reason, like, he dropped down. Um, and part of that is also just like thinking about, like, um, looking at, at what Daniel Tice gave the Celtics, like, was that how much of a drop off was there going from Horford to Tice? Yeah, not a particularly big one. That could speak yeah. to how underrated Daniel Tice is, to be honest. Yeah, no, I mean Daniel, I mean Daniel Tice is, yeah. is in tier five for me. Like, there's, I right. think that's one that 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 kind of surprised people. I think Daniel Tice is pretty good. Um, but the fact that there's not a lot of differentiation between the two probably speaks to maybe I was. It's possible I was too high on Horford before, or it's you know, you get to a certain age and and things stop working as well as they used to, and that that sort of happens to everybody. Yeah. Let's dive into like some names here. Um, Daniel House, why? Think did I mean? Think Daniel House has has the Rockets guys. I gotta say the Rockets guys were all were, were very hard in general. Um, because yeah, they are wondering what they look like um, 
outside of that very particular outside of that very particular system and it was i talked about it when when i was discussing uh uh pj tucker especially but i think you know daniel house has has i think shown himself to you know uh, a good shooter athletic defender um i think has a little bit more kind of creativity whether it's cutting or attacking closeout than maybe he's given credit for um, I think he's a a pretty solid three and D wing at this point in his career, um, and that's you know there's a lot of three or D wings or not really three not really D wings, but you know I think that you know he is a he is he's he's enough of a step up from the the Tory Craig's of the world uh, to to I think be a guy who would be a, a useful I think I think fifth starter on a lot of pretty good teams. Yeah, and this is where like the whole salary thing gets tough because while we want to do this salary agnostic, like it's hard for me to think of Daniel House as a better player than Harrison Barnes. You know what I mean? Like it's harder right so, now to build around Harrison Barnes because of Harrison's money. But I think I think as much because of Harrison's game. Um I think I don't like you know, for his best qualities to come out, he needs to have the ball a little bit. Is he good enough to have the ball on a on a really good team? Probably so, not. Yeah, right. I mean, like he was somewhat useful as like a secondary isolation scorer with Dallas, but not effective. And yeah, like not effective enough to make it worthwhile. Um, and it gets hard with these guys that are high level scorers that have to transition into playing a role that is slightly less so than that, right? Like we've seen, I guess that my point is like we've seen Harrison Barnes in a three and D role. And like I would argue even that like Warriors Harrison Barnes is better than Daniel Tice or not Daniel Tice, Daniel House. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think I I don't know if if Warriors Harrison Barnes is still there defensively, and I think that's yeah it, defensively and also kind of the willingness to to kind of you know spot up and play defense and 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 not necessarily be super involved in the offense all the time. So in in tier five here, we've got like a mix of guys like Andre Drummond, now Horford that have made all star games down to like your Daniel houses and your George Hills. Um, Are you going to, are you going to quibble with George Hill being, being there? No, 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 no. I just mean in terms of like lower profile, I think George Hill is like totally reasonable to have there. Um, To your Maxi Klebas who are lower profile. Then you have a bunch of younger guys like Mikhail Bridges and Tyler Hero and um, even someone, you know, maybe not young, but early in their career, like Duncan Robinson and Devontae Graham. Who was the toughest guy to rank uh, as a tier five guy? The toughest guy to put in or out or the toughest guy to have in that tier? To figure out. Yeah, either or, I guess. Like, who was the toughest guy? To I rank think Horford was Horford was a pretty tough one yeah. to figure out. I mean, because that's I mean, you know, I um another name in tier five that I think has surprised some people is Blake Griffin, and that's yeah. you know, that's I don't know. I, I like just physically, like what is he now? You know, if if we see it like two years ago, Blake Griffin is a tier a high tier three, low tier two player. I don't think that guy's I don't think that guy exists anymore. 
just yeah, from I mean, a physical standpoint. Blake Griffin was a top three MVP candidate. What in yeah. what was that? 2015, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he was a he was an All NBA level player uh, in in 1819. Yep. Before uh, you know, getting hurt at the end of the year, and then you know, but it's you, you get to be a certain age, and you start talking about degenerative knee conditions, and it's just like, mm, it, you know, what that the, you know th- those kind of things don't tend to reverse themselves. So yeah, um, so I probably would have had him in tier four. But I understand how difficult it is yeah. to put him somewhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that, I mean, that's a tough one. Um, some of the guys to kind of the, the last couple spots, whether like, okay, should it, should it be Lonzo Ball or should it be Harrison Barnes or should it be Kelly Oubre or should it be Tyler Hero? Um, or should it be Royce O'Neill or should it be, you know, or, you know, Gary Harris snuck in there? Um, you know, uh, Paul Millsap, like those, like, you know, again, if I'd have gone to 138 or whatever, like, you know, all, a lot of those hard decisions kind of go away. Cause it's like, yeah, I got 13 more guys. It's, you know, you, you okay, right. Yes. Kelly Olenek, you fit, um, in there. Um, but right. Thaddeus Young, you know, maybe you fit in there because we think that Jim Boylan didn't know how to use you. Yeah. I, but I mean, he's another guy who had a very kind of specific ability, and as he's gotten a little bit older, you know, and 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 the versatility has waned. I'm I'm not sure. Oh, I, you know, I'm. It's not. You know, it's not impossible that he has a renaissance this year. You know, under uh, under new management, but I'm or in a different team is my guess in his case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I actually think he's. I think Thaddeus Young's good. Um, but I've always been a little bit higher. Like, I think he was like borderline all defense in 2019. Um, wasn't, wouldn't have quite gotten my vote, but probably would have been like on a nebulous third team all defense for me. Um, so it gets, it gets still third team all defense. Yeah. That exists only in our brains and hearts. Um, yeah, yeah but like it gets hard with these bottom of the edge, you know, maybe could be there, maybe could not be there. Guys, it, it really is tricky. Like, I don't think you have Terry Rozier here, right? That, that wasn't a particularly tough call. <laughs> but Terry Rozier has also turned into one of the best catch-and-shoot three-point shooters in the league over the course of the last, like, three years. He's been really, really good at it. And if you get him in the right situation, he could potentially really work defensively. The problem is he likes the ball in his hands too much and likes to dribble the shit out of the ball right and and also i mean you look at you look at charlotte's backcourt and and they were just so much better with graham and yeah. not rosier than they were in the reverse that yeah. it's, it's you know that's if you, you want to talk about you know why uh, you, you want to talk i mean you know the 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 hornets guy who you know got consideration uh, but didn't ultimately make it was pj washington yeah yeah i think he could have very easily He'd be in the next like group for me, like if you did a five B or whatever. Like he'd yeah. definitely be in that group for me, but wouldn't be uh tier yeah. like wouldn't be in the same tier as me as like uh like honestly like Gary Harris, I think is really, really solid. Um, even though the shooting has kind of disappeared a little bit over the course of the last I couple mean, years. That's also that's also just like a bet that the shooting woes are based on him being hurt. 
Yeah. And he's and he's young enough that being hurt isn't the same thing as being diminished, although maybe it is. So he's yeah. a player who could easily, you know, vanish from 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 the tiers, you know, early in next season were I to, you know, update it a month into the year or something. Yeah. Um moving to tier four, we're into guys now that are high scorers or super high level role players. And there's one guy that like you kind of popped in here that I was a little bit interested in. And it's trying to determine. Was it, would you think I was low on him or high on him? I don't know to be uh, probably high on him, at least within tier four. Okay. So it's Derek Rose then it is Derek Rose. Okay. Where uh, that's funny that you knew immediately too he's fascinating isn't he yeah he's i mean he's you know in his odyssey of coming back from the knee injuries i've i haven't been you know uh it's it's a name that that you know came up frequently in in kind of internal discussions and it wasn't someone i was a big champion of but he's been unmistakably a a, a dynamic offensive engine the last couple years um and yeah, he's probably not a guy who can do that for 30 some minutes a game every night, but having that kind of, you know, high level pop in terms of a guy who can, who can, you know, get into the paint off the dribble. Um, like I think that would have, that would have a great deal of value as like a, like a change of pace third guard for, for a lot of really good teams. So you have him a half tier ahead of Zach Levine. And I remember early on, in this project when we were talking about uh, the efficacy of scorers versus role players. And I made like a sort of case for you to, or case for Zach Levine to you. And I think that you put him in the right tier. Like I, I would have him as a tier four guy. I'm interested to try and parse through how do we evaluate someone like Zach Levine, who's clearly taken like a large step forward with Chicago since the injury in Minnesota and trying to figure out what would he look like in a different situation? Yeah. Has he taken a step forward or is he getting to shoot all balls in a consequence free environment? So I would argue he's taken a step forward, if only because he is like a 57% true shooting guy on that crazy volume, which is and that's very slightly above league average. Yeah. Right. And that's like that. that, But he but especially because he's, you know, not good defensively. No, he's He's, bad. Like we we can just call like he's bad defensively. Like his net impact is what? Um, it's very questionable. I'll put it that way. And you, I mean, you do have to credit, you know, someone who can put the ball in the basket at that level. And yeah, fine. You shrink his role a little bit. Maybe, you know, the efficiency goes up a little bit. Maybe he, he, yeah, like if you less offensively, the defense gets a little bit better. And maybe, and that's probably on a per possession basis, a, a better player, but he's never really shown the ability to you know drive positive net movement on the scoreboard you know in minnesota or chicago so so i guess like here would be my thing like you bring up the idea of reducing the role a little bit right like if he's an 18 point a game guy versus a 25 point a game guy 
because the role reduces a little bit. And he is, continues to maintain the three-point volume at like 38%, right? Because I don't really see a reason to think he's anything less than like a 38% three-point shooter, right? Uh, he takes a ton of pull-ups now. I think if you even gave him more catch-and-shoot opportunities, he'd probably potentially go up, uh, especially if he was no longer the number one option at the top of scouting reports. If he's like an 18 point a game guy on like a 62% true shooting percentage or a 61 number I was thinking of like, yeah, that's like a crazy valuable player. Probably (laughs) if he's like the Uh, second or third guy, right? Just, you know, and I don't think it's that hard to imagine that either though, I guess is my point. It's not hard to imagine that, but it is something you've got to see a little bit. And especially in, in that role, I mean, you still, you still can't be, you know, a bottom X defender in that role. Yeah. And, you know, cause then you're, you know, then you're, you know, you, you, like two guys who didn't make the list kind of for, for that kind of reason where, yeah, they can give you 20, they'll give up 20. Uh, we're Michael Porter Jr. and Kyle Kuzma. Right. Um, but I mean, like Zach Levine is a level far above, for instance, Kyle Kuzma. Right. Like, I don't, I don't think we know what right. Michael Porter is yet, but like, right. he's like multiple levels above Kyle Kuzma. But and then that's why he's in tier four. But that's why. Right. He, but he's not higher than that because you know it's, it's you know, um, there's a lot of good stats, uh, bad team, um, and you know some of the some of the bad team is because of him. Or at minimum, he hasn't he hasn't been able to elevate bad to yeah. mediocre. I think I think that's probably the better way to put it. Like I, I don't know that it's because of him, but it's 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 hard for me to say with someone like him because he is efficient in the chances that he gets, and he generates a majority of those chances on his own. So I can't quite my finger like he's a he's a really hard one to me because the other part of it is too like he's just like a crazy ridiculous worker like i think there's another chance that like i think there's a chance that like another leap comes at some point because i'm just done betting against guys that are crazy insane workers like he is but i can't quite i can't quite put my finger on how to rate these guys. Like, I think I would probably have Zach Levine as a four a player. Like I, I would have him in a very similar tier to where you do. But like, I, I don't think that I could have him below Goran Dragic right now, given that Goran like fights more defensively, but isn't really a great defender. I, but I, I also think Goran is, is a, he may not be the score, but I think he is a more a a I don't know if substantially, but a especially in a good team, a more impactful offensive player because of his yes, he, his individual scoring, but also his playmaking. <sighs> and you know how long that lasts. You know, Gordon is you know what is he thirty thirty five or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I don't think I agree with that honestly. Okay, I don't. I get it. I, I totally understand what your point is. And I think that it's not wrong because having really high level decision makers who move the ball quickly, especially in the construct of that offense is really valuable. I just think that if you told Levine to do that, he probably would do that. Like, I think that we need to give 
players more credit almost, right? Like they can do a lot of different things. It's just that they're put into a role to do certain things. You know what I mean? Yeah, but we 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 have seen. I mean, admittedly, it was an earlier stage in his career. We have seen yeah. him in a role, and you know there were some of the same, you know, the same decision making foibles that we still see from time to time. Yeah, there were. It's it's hard, and like another guy that you have here in four A is Brandon Ingram, and I'm sure that you got pushback for that, right? Uh, yeah, some people were, uh, actually Will, Will Guillory, uh, today on, uh, on, uh, we did a, we did a live show about this and, and he kind of gave me some, what are you doing <laughs> for that? But, um, I think, and I think that that's actually, you know, a, a not terribly dissimilar, um, situation. situation yeah. From, from Levine. I agree um, though, that they're very Ingram, similar. Though I think Ingram, um, You know, first of all, just has some advantages from a, a physical standpoint um, in terms of being an effective defender that he hasn't totally operationalized yet. Um, but also um, just having that skill set a little higher up the positional spectrum, I think, is also a little bit more valuable. Because you can, you know, you can, it's it's not super easy to find a, a you know, a, a you know, Averagey shooting four who can actually shoot. It's right. a little bit easier to find a, a a two who can play off the ball and shoot. So having your your three four who can do the same playmaking as a guy who's a you know a combo or a two, um, I think that's a that that is a that is a more valuable offensive skill set. Well, and the other part of it is too is that teams just don't hunt Brandon Ingram like that defensively, right? Like. Brandon's problems defensively have been for the most part that he's just very apathetic away from the ball on the ball. It's not that he's like a good on ball defender. It's that teams don't like incessantly try to get him on the ball because they see the wingspan. They see the arms. They see like that. He's big with relative quickness and think that it's harder to take advantage of that matchup. Like they would rather chase other matchups on the court with the bulls. Like you attack Levine. Yeah, though I do. Th- I mean, you get you get the the Pelicans in a playoff series and say they they faced the Lakers and and I do kind of think that that whoever okay whoever Ingram's guarding comes at a screen because like obviously LeBron just puts him in the basket. Um, sure, I mean LeBron's different though. Yeah, like LeBron right. <laughs> is gonna <laughs> like, like chase that guy. LeBron but- was putting putting Jeremy Grant in the basket too, and I think Jeremy I think we would agree that Jeremy Grant is a. Uh, just uh, like another another f- several categories up of a defender than anyone we've just been talking about. Yeah, like I, I probably would have Brandon in the tier above, but it's due to that like nebulous idea of improvement, so, actually, right? So, but let's let, but let, let, let's talk about that because the next tier above is you know in alphabetical order is John Morant, Jalen Brown, Clay Thompson, Kristaps Porzingis, Russell Westbrook, yeah. Trey Young, Zion Williamson. Yeah, like I, I, I would rather have Ingram than oh. John ja Morant, to be honest. I mean, that's. I don't think I agree with that. I, well, I definitely don't agree with that. And well, so here's some of that is here's the case ahead. why. So 
Brandon Ingram, I think, has a chance to be. And look, at the end of the day, like the cases that each of us are making for putting these guys in these tiers are that there is some long-term growth to come from them, right? Like that's the reason that we have them where we do. I, I, I do think, though, that that Ingram is a little bit more of the finished product than Morant, just because you know four years versus one year. Maybe, but Brandon was also the youngest player in the NBA in his rookie year. Um, he's still only twenty three; just played that entire year at twenty two, right? And I think John Morant played that year at twenty one. No, he's twenty. So there's there's two years. So you have two years. So he's further. Brandon's further along, but I don't think it's that much farther along, especially given the way that his body continues to like grow and develop at the end of the day. And ultimately, I worry about teams just continuing to hunt John Morant defensively because I worry about his frame and his body long term. Um, he's very, very skinny. He's never really shown any sort of defensive instincts at any level other than just like a penchant for gambling and getting steals. He's not a particularly good off-ball defender. Brandon isn't those things, but again, I don't think he's going to get hunted. And then on top of it, I would default to wing shot creators right now almost above anything. And if there's a guy that has a chance in the league to be like a super high-level wing shot creator in the playoffs... That can do that against elite level defenders. I'm probably going to take a shot on that guy above elite level guards. So I think that's a that's that's a fair point, and I think that's a slight. You're answering a slightly different question than because I'm I'm you know like kind of median next year what they look like. Sure. I do. Do you think that that's that's the median result for Brandon Ingram is that he can do that? I don't. Um, Morant, it's a little bit again because he's in the age, like age matters, but I think age in terms of NBA years matters almost a little bit more just in this like narrow thing. I mean, a guy, you know, just a, the, the difference between a guy going from his first year to his second year. It's like, oh, that's what NBA basketball is, is a little bit different regardless of age than, than, you know, a guy going from 23 to 24. Sure. Um, kind of. You know, whether it's his, you know, whether it's his fourth to fifth year or for, you know, guys who came in a little older, they're, you know, fifth to sixth year or something like that, or sixth to seventh even. Um, no way to have that backwards. You know what I mean, though? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm good at math. Um, so, and, and the flip side of that, by the way, is, yeah, you, you pointed out that Morant is, you know, not awesome defensively. Um, he's also at a less kind of impactful defensive position than than ingram um and that's that's actually kind of one of the 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 worries i would have about ingram is like are we sure that's the case anymore with the way the teams hunt mismatches in the playoffs and try to get their best players onto poor defensive players at any cost basically like yeah. that was that's been the playoffs for the last if, three if years, realistically. So if you're if if you're if you're a team, you're playing with with John Morant, and his man sets the screen. Are you ever does your scheme ever call for giving up that soft switch that that teams seem to seem to do? Like that's you know 
that that seems like a little bit of a capitulation. I, I I hate when teams do that to begin with, but I also think that like you know, I the 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 Celtics are not in the habit of soft switching Kemba Walker onto bigger scores, right? Um, because they they know that's dumb. Um, but they so still had I, problems getting Kemba mismatched onto guys. Did, no, that, that that's true. But I don't. I, I and Kemba I is a way better idea. defender than John Moran is because Kemba is just stronger and can fight yeah. over the top of screens. No, I think that, but I, I think that it's not. You know, there 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 will be players that can attack him certainly, um, but he's also not. It's it's not just the one on one defense. It's he's he's not in a position where he's going to have kind of the the help backside help that, responsibilities. For yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, and so that's you know where, um, you know. Um, Ingram's deficiencies as a defender maybe hurt you a little bit more because you can, if if your point guard's not a great defender, I mean, how much has it really held Portland back that 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 Dame has has been a below average defender though he's not as he's not as awful as he was earlier. Yeah, I, I was going to say the last two years, I, I would argue that a big part of their leap has been him getting better on defense. But, but he's still, I mean, he's still. He's he's competitive, but he's not good. And you know, just by virtue of size, you're only going to be able to do so much as a you know help and recovery defender. Um, and that's kind of a given with unless you know unless you're playing like Shea Gilgis Alexander at the one or something like that. Like that's right. a benefit to playing kind of that 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 medium sized ball. Um, but I do think that you know again, just relative to what you kind of want to put on the floor. Um, it's it it's less of a detriment to have your kind of your small lead ball handler be meh defensively than it is a guy who's you know bigger up the scale. How much we we can like I would have Brandon as like a three B guy like with Jaw like I don't think you're wrong on where you have Jaw I think that I would have Brandon a little bit higher but I'm also like considerably higher on Brandon Ingram than I think so you, basketball so have, you, you like like seriously you'd have Brandon Ingram above Jalen Brown for a for a a a win win the title next year team you'd have you'd not have, you'd have for brandon a win you'd have brandon ingram above Kristaps Porzingis. assuming you know no i would have them in the same tier above. i said i'd have them okay. in 3b yeah okay no this is the, but they were talking i mean these, okay yeah so yeah no i i would have them in the same tier cuz i think that like having cuz brandon is a better shot creator than jalen brown is he a good enough shot creator that that's what you want his primary skill to be? Or is someone who's a little bit more balanced offensive and defensive, like Jalen Brown, kind of at that level more? For next year, I would rather have Jalen. For the yeah. rest of their careers, I would probably rather have Brandon. Okay. I mean, that's, I mean, that, that, like, that's perfectly reasonable. But if, if yeah. it's for next year, you'd rather have Jalen, then you'd rather, then Jalen should be higher up in this because since this is a, a, right. But there's like, in this, yeah. There's like delineation in, within the tiers, even though, yeah. right? Like, yeah. like I would have them in the same tier at the end of the day. I would not necessarily take Brandon over Jalen next season. Um, there was where where does Trey Young fit within this? Because like we're talking so about this is, he, nebulous, so he's, difficult he's, discussion of defense, and that gets yeah, tricky he, really quick. The, I think he's in the same group with with John Morant. Yeah, like I I think that, um, frankly, I I 
I think that like I think that John Morant's going to be a winning player before Trey Young is. Um, but you know, I, the, that's the. I think you and I disagree on that. I think we've probably talked about that before. But um, yeah, but you're not a Trey guy. But yeah, but I'm not a Trey guy. Like that's been that's been established. Yeah. Um, um, but I think that, that again, that's a they they are they are you know broadly pretty similar in a, in a lot of ways. I mean, obviously, you know, Jaws is, is is more athletically dynamic, and and Trey is a a a better slash more willing. He kind of I think he shoots himself a foot in the foot a little bit as a shooter uh, with some of his decisions. Um, but I think that they are broadly speaking, you know similar players and kind of depending on what you need from that spot you could prefer one or the other um i think it's probably easier to put a better team around jaw so i would you know in many constructions prefer him but i don't think that there's on an absolute scale much difference between them i think yeah. that the part of this is by the way i think that it it probably didn't get talked about enough how in terms of a of a usage slash efficiency rookie season how like how good jaw was this year yeah like he's, yeah no he's it's reasonable pretty, like yeah he had he had a he had a better rookie season than Trey Young did I definitely agree with that uh, Trey took a leap in year two that. While some guys do, it was like a 100th percentile leap in year two in terms of what could have reasonably been expected. And it'll be interesting to see if Ja takes that same leap. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, I'll add that, that Ja did it in a, in a, he wasn't just putting up numbers. He, you know, yep. um, a team that basically made the playoffs with no expectations. And they had some other good players, but I think like, you know, he was, he was the driving force on a successful team this yeah. year. And, you know, some of it is the, you know, obviously the talent around him, but that, that's not something that, that, you know, in only two years and, you know, obviously John Collins missing a lot of time and so on and so forth. Um, but that's not something Trey's done yet. I'm really glad that you put Drew Holiday a tier, like a half tier ahead of them too. Because it's really hard to find guys who can do all of the things that Drew Holiday does. Um, I, I I think I said I wrote I said this in the write ups. I think Drew Holiday is the 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 most underrated player in the NBA. I agree with you. It's I funny because he it's funny because he's a guy where like you know the the kind of box score stats don't always show it, but some of the underlying kind of impact stats have been universally great for him for a while. And then you, uh, you, you go to, you ask Dame Lillard, you ask Steph, you ask, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, I, JJ's his teammate, but so he's, he's maybe a little bi, but you ask, like, you know, I don't always like the appeal to authority to players, but in this case, it's, it's a really interesting, the level of agreement that there is between the, you know, the metrics that pick up all the stuff that a guy does that, that leads to winning, uh, and the players saying, yeah, that guy's tough. Like, that guy's, that, that, that guy's a monster. Um, so I, I, uh, yeah, I think that, I think uh, Drew Holiday is a really good player and that's, and he's kind of, you know, what, what's the one move this team could make to really put themselves over the top for so many teams for Denver, for Brooklyn, for Milwaukee, for Dallas, else, who should they, yeah, who should they get Drew Holiday? Um, 
the, the, now the fact that so many teams should want him maybe makes it hard to actually get him. Um, cause New Orleans could be like, well, why should we trade him? If everyone wants him, he must be pretty good. And we think we're about to be good. So <laughs> why, why are we in a hurry to move him? How difficult was it to rank injured players? Because like, for instance, like Victor Oladipo, you have it for a, right? You have, yeah. um, you know, Al Horford wasn't hurt this year, but situationally, Al Horford was tough. Um, yeah. You know, John Wall, you have it for a. How impactful was the presence of injuries on this list? And it only gets more impactful in all likelihood as we move up, given that Kevin yeah. Durant and Steph Curry and Clay Thompson missed the entire season. Yeah. So um, part of it is like, what kind of injury was it? Like, um, with Steph being in, in tier 1B instead of 1A is not really about the injury and more kind of about age and the fact that he hasn't been like the kind of the main focus of a team in, in a couple years. Um, you know, he, he, I, I, it's an easier road if you're playing next to, you know, for, for both ways, for him and Durant, it was easier playing next to each other than it would have been like, you know, absolutely caring. So can he still do at 32 what he could do at 27? I think so, but I need to see it a little bit. So there's just enough doubt to have him down that like half a peg from like the, you know, the 1A guys who are, uh, if people haven't read it, it's LeBron, Kawhi, Giannis, and James Harden. Um, you know, I, do I think that like 80% chance Steph is, is back in that group this year? Yeah. But that like, is it, is it all still there? Um, and it's not an injury thing. That's again, it's, it's, you know, he's 32 and hasn't, hasn't been that guy. And, and basically since they, um, uh, since the, the, the finals they lost to the, to the Cavs. Um, so, you know, um, but for some of the other guys, it's, it's, you know, for, for Wall and Oladipo, uh, Blake Griffin, we talked about, it's, it's not just the fact that they were injured, but it's a kind of injury that, uh, could sap something. Like, you know, Oladipo, even before he got hurt, um, last year wasn't playing as well as he had the year before. Yep. Um, and then on top of that, you know, he's a, a small guard who's in, you know, a, a good, but not great shooter. So, you know, losing a little bit of, of over the top athleticism, I think is a pretty big deal for him. Um, yep. you know, it took, how long did it take Derek Rose to adjust to what he could physically do to become an effective player again? Yeah, it took a couple of years for sure. Yeah, I mean, it, it's like four or five, and now some of that was he kept getting hurt. Right. Still, it was a, it was a, there was a big gap where he was, you know, he maybe put up some numbers, but not effectually. Um, so, like Oladipo, like there's a little bit of of wait and see with that. Um, but you know, you do have to, you know. And again, a small guard who was, who was somewhat reliant on athleticism. Like, what does that mean for him defensively? You talk about, you know, yep. um, guys getting hunted. Okay. If he's, if he's just an average athlete or even a slightly above average athlete, but he's a six, two combo guard, is that someone who gets, Oh, you know, they're like, say he's still on Indiana. They play Boston in the playoffs next year. And you, yeah, I mean, Vic's not six, two. He's. He's six four with like a seven foot wingspan, but I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. But he's he's you know how often is Boston trying to get him switched on to Jason Tatum and what happened? How does that work? Yeah, that's a good question. 
depends depends on what he looks like at the end of the day right 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 yeah and that's no, and that's, that's what you're saying the, yeah like if if it looks more like from a physical standpoint he looked this year it's not great if he's closer to what he was before the injury physically then sure he could be he could be a little higher um but i, I don't think that i i think that he's gonna have a lot of work to do to get back to kind of all-star level and i don't think i would bet on that yeah, I think I agree. Like, it's funny. I, I've made a case that I think that should be the guy that Dallas chases uh, this offseason, particularly give it like a trial run, maybe move the, like the Tim Hardaway and number 18 or something like that for Victor Oladipo if Indiana thinks he's not going to resign and see what a Luca Victor Oladipo backcourt looks like this year. And then if it doesn't work, well, you're only out the 18th pick and you still have max cap space next summer. That feels like an interesting idea to me, but yeah, I mean, like I don't know what Vic looks like anymore, and it gets really tricky in a hurry to figure out what he looks like. Yeah, and like obviously John Wall, we have very little idea what he's gonna gonna look like. Right but for guys who are just like hurt this year, there's like unless there's some reason to think it's like you know uh, something that's gonna linger. Um, just kind of, you know, he'll be about where he was. Um, so that there's obviously a sliding scale, but in terms of guys who like definitely got like, I don't know, cause the injury, um, it was definitely more like, you know, wall, Griffin, uh, Oladipo, uh, yep. play a little bit. Um, Otto Porter is another one, but you kind of yeah, just put Otto like, Porter where I'd put him. Yeah, I mean, Otto Porter is a guy who, who, and, and Kyrie too, to be honest, and guys who just yeah. who all, aren't just like injured or diminished, but just can't for whatever reason can't seem to stay on the floor. Like yeah. that matters too. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it I, I guess I tried to, you know, what, what's the fifty fiftieth percentile outcome health wise? Yeah. Um, and that's 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 to some degree unknowable, but you you can make some educated guesses. If a guy's always hurt, be you know. Kyrie Irving misses 20 games a year, like, you know, kind of like clockwork. So let's, you know, a reasonable projection is he's going to play, you know, if this is a 72 game schedule next year, he'll play about 50 games. That's, that's not as good as a guy you can pencil in for, you know, play 65 of 72. And then, you know, he's missed two of the last three postseasons. So like, where, where does that leave you? So let's jump to tier two here. Uh, fascinating tier two group i don't think i would have rudy in tier two i think i'd just have him (laughs) like the level below but it's mostly because of like center scarcity and being worried about what he it's not even that he's been terrible in the playoffs like i think that's been overstated but i don't think he's a tier two player in the playoffs either he gets you to the playoffs at a high level but i think i would probably rather have bam at a bio in the playoffs going forward thoughts concerns um i think if we see certainly the if we see a full season of kind of the the eastern conference playoffs bam out of bio next year absolutely yeah um but you know that was sort of a um uh, even a step up from where he'd been this season and there's yeah. you, know, you do have to give you know some credence to the track record of okay you have this guy on your team you have a top 10 defense yep that's that's gobert can say that bam can't say that yet i think that 
in general, tier t- the tier two guys that you have, other than Rudy, like I think that this is exactly what mine would look like. I might yeah, move Anthony Rudy. Davis up one, but like, yeah, like it's so, it's very close. That's, so that's that obviously like having Anthony Davis in, in tier two A, meaning I think he's the he you know in this this taxonomy is you know, the sixth with an asterisk. I mean, like Kevin Durant doesn't really matter where I put him. I had him tier one B and who knows where, where he goes. So really, uh, that aside, I think this is, this, you know, again, um, because of the value, I think there is on, on ball shot creation, elite on ball shot creation. That's why, you know, uh, Giannis Kawhi, Harden, LeBron, Steph are, or that, that, that step up because you compare Anthony Davis to the other like big usage scores in the league. And he is, there's a chasm, uh, between his now, he, this, this, this was different in the playoffs this year, but in, in, you know, this season and across his career, there's just been a, in both the volume and effectiveness of his, of him getting his own shot. Um, between, you know, him and even, you know, a guy who is, who, who is, who can, is, is maybe not always done it great in the playoffs, but Giannis is even, is even just like, orders of like an order of magnitude or two like better in terms of both volume and effectiveness now again anthony davis is really good at that well not really i mean relatively speaking really good he got too decent at that in the playoffs and if we continue to see that then sure um he's in that group but absent that he's he's much more the this is the the elitist finisher in the league not necessarily a creator and certainly not a guy who is ever really shown a lot of propensity for creating for teammates either. I think having for me, Anthony Davis is the best defender in the league in a playoff setting. I think that he jumps Rudy Gobert in that capacity. Um, Having that guy that is also much of that is, well, can I, I mean, yeah, um, you know, I think, uh, there, there, there's another guy who's who's already in tier one who I think has a lot of the same traits and maybe hasn't been used as uh, in, in yeah. quite a, as versatile a way. Um, you, so. you can easily make a case for Giannis too yeah. in this capacity. Um, I think Anthony Davis is a little bit better at switching onto guards and being able to slide and contest than Giannis has shown himself to be, but there is certainly a case for Giannis in this regard. But I guess like with Anthony Davis, let's say a top two playoff defender plus the best finisher in the league outside of maybe Giannis. That's so probably something I want more than mm, that's tough. Yeah. But you might, you might be right on this. We've seen it. We've seen teams built around Anthony Davis and they've been, you know, the, the, the comparison I drew, cause it's, it's a pretty natural comparison from a, from a, a game standpoint, uh, is Kevin, is Kevin Garnett and his teams, yeah. like for a long time, even though they didn't do much, they made the playoffs. And Anthony Davis before this year had made the playoffs with, with, you know, there was, there was not perfect talent on his team, but there was some pretty good talent on, on some of those like New Orleans teams. I mean, you're, you know, um, in holiday and a, and a prime Eric Gordon, like that's a pretty good three players to begin with. Yeah. And, you know, they made the, 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 like two playoff appearances. So, um, yeah, like Luka Doncic making the playoffs this year with Dallas is like a real, 
interesting comparison yeah. point there. Yeah, and so I think that that's I re, like, and I think that sort of illustrates the the limitations of a big who doesn't have a ton of on ball creation. Um, it, like it, Anthony Davis is better, but it's not ter- a terribly dissimilar problem to what we see in Philly. In terms yeah. of you know you could get more out of Embiid, but you got to get him the ball, and then blah blah blah. Um, the problem with Embiid, though, is that Embiid is not from, nearly the finisher that Anthony Davis is, is a play finisher. I mean, do we count getting fouled at a super high rate as finishing? Yeah, but it's not like Anthony Davis yeah. doesn't get right. fouled at like right. a similar rate. Right. But no, but uh, but I think the like the, the point stands that th- and that was a again in the playoffs this year, that was a categorical difference from AD than he had seen in, 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 in really any other point in his career. Now, if that's real, he's a tier one player. Um, you know, I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment. And sure. also the bubble is weird. So the like, bubble is really hard. Especially. Like <laughs> trying to figure no, out where to put like, Jamal Murray yeah. is tough. Yeah. Yeah. And his, and his jump shooting was, was, you know, both his, his, his individual, and a lot of that was the fact that he, you know, he, he, you know, catch that, that, that mid post ISO that everyone hates them to see it all of a sudden became a good play because he's knocking down these jab step jumpers. Right. And, you know, over the course of the season, he was like a high thirties mid range shooter and he's getting like 45, 48 in the playoffs. Like, okay. If that's real, then yeah, he's, but you know, you have the whole bulk of his career and six weeks in the bubble and, right. you know, which, you know, you, you do credit what you've just seen, but you don't want to throw everything else you've seen before that out. And when you're saying, what do we expect to see from him going forward? Yeah, no, I, I do agree with that. I think that that is very reasonable. I s- and and I'll, I'll also add that, that, you know, I, that, that it, there's really like I could have I called you know that group of of Jokic, Doncic, and and Anthony Davis. I called that tier two A. I could have easily called that tier one C, without really changing, you know, totally what I thought about the players. Um, sure. It. I I would probably put Lillard in this conversation as well for what it's worth, but I'm also like, yeah. maybe the biggest Damian Lillard homer uh, on the internet right now. So, so that this is this is this is the in doing this exercise. That's one of the 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 fascinating counterfactuals is what does Dame's career look like if you swap him and Steph in terms of of you know supporting cast? Like, okay, Dame hasn't done what Steph has done, but Steph has had what he's had around him. Now you have to credit right. Steph because he's actually gone and done it, right? But what would Dame do something similar? I don't know. And that, but I, that yeah. would be an interesting thing to find out. And I just, I unfortunately don't think Portland is likely to ever put that kind of talent around him. Yeah. To really give us a look, like in in what is remaining of his prime. Yeah. Which is a bit of a bummer. Um, I think the only thing, the only other thing other than pushing Gobert down and probably pushing Dame up that I would change is I would flip Tatum and Embiid in this tier. And or maybe I just push MB down to a two C. Like maybe I would maybe I would just have gotten rid of the two B category in like okay. pushed MB down, pushed Butler and Lillard up. I mean, I, I think that we are 
you know, the, the pendulum has swung a certain way on Joel Embiid. Um, right. How, how different do we think of him if, you know, again, we're going to play the counterfactual game, but that Kawhi shot bounces out last year and they, and they win that and they go to the, even if they don't win the Eastern Conference Finals, like they make the Conference Finals and then do, are you, you know, first of all, their team might probably looks different this year, but even if it doesn't, um, you know, do you give them, okay, well, okay, they're, you know, their second best player and their most important ball handler didn't play. So yeah, give them a mulligan. Or so, I, you know, I don't, I don't know what else Embiid could have really done in that Boston series. What well, I, I don't, I don't think it's that he could have done anything different. I think it's that yeah. he hasn't gotten better, like since 2019, right? Like this was the same Joel Embiid that we saw. He still has the same turnover issues uh, when he gets double teamed. He still doesn't really make high level passing rates. He still isn't quite as efficient with his shot selection as we'd like to see. And part of that does have to do with situation in terms of like the counterfactual argument that you're bringing. He is not a guy that not a guy that has the best situation for him around him. Like Ben Simmons, not being yeah. a shooter is a problem. Al Horford, not being someone that teams respect as a shooter in terms of like really closing out hard on him is a problem. Same with Josh Richardson, right? Yeah, Josh Richardson having being hurt and not really having a great year. Like, I think that was, that was low key, a pretty big swing against right. the Sixers this year. Right. So, I get that it's not a great situation, but he's also not really making the strides that I would like to see from him either, particularly on the passing front. Um, It's hard for me with a guy who's like seven foot two, even like, even if you take out his three point attempts, like he shot 51.7% from two point range this year because he largely just takes a ton of mid-range jumpers. He, he does like a jumper. So, though, so, I mean, again, you, but he's, he's like the best, like the, his, his post up is one of like the, you know, you talk about the three, you know, synergy stats are what they are. They're, they're not always great, but like the three, like most efficient high volume, uh, uh, play types this year were Dame on a, in a pick and roll, Harden in an ISO, and Joel Embiid in the post. But then, but then the fact that they like they have one guy who can actually feed him in the post was a problem, right? So, like, should he be taking like seventeen footers? No. Do you understand why? If it's like, well, I, I I I buried my guy under the basket and you couldn't get me the ball, so I'm gonna pop out to sixteen feet and and, and cast this thing up because it's my turn. Right. Um, you know, that's, that's not, it's not ideal, but it's, it's certainly, especially for a guy who is, you know, your, your meal ticket, that's, that's understandable that he would, you know, that he would, he would make those kind of decisions. So, yeah. Um, I, you know, you, we talked earlier about situationally, like he's, he's a guy who I've definitely like, I think he's, I think he's really good. And I think he's been in, is certainly this year was in a, uh, extremely suboptimal position to make himself shine. And so I don't want to hold that against him too much. 
because he, he was like really good last year. Yeah, like we're we're talking about the difference between him being like a top twelve player versus a top like seventeen player. Yeah. It's like splitting hairs at the end of the yeah. day. Yeah. And that, that and that's and that's you know, the thing you you come across when you do this exercise is you do end up at the very top, you do end up splitting hairs a lot. And I yep. think you have to because those small differences matter. So speaking of small differences, the only thing that I, I would put Kevin Durant in tier one, A, is it literally just because you don't know what he's going to look like coming back from yeah, the Achilles? No, he's, he's, he's a, I could have put him anywhere from tier, you know, 3C to 1A in Giant Shrug. Um, just, you know, the, the history of players coming back from Achilles injuries is terrifying. So not good. Yeah. Um. But then again, he was so good before. And there's some some uh you know, here's probably some mitigating circumstances in terms of his skill set and size that that put up I think a, a, if he can be on the floor at all, like if there's not just like lingering doneness from from the injury, which I mean there's there's a chance of that, obviously. Um but like, you know, I, I think I did put this in a write up, like, you know, reasonably the worst he can be is probably Chris Middleton. Now, if he's Chris Middleton, that the the Nets are going nowhere. But that's right. like, um, so they they need him to be a tier one ish or at least high tier two player for them to have much chance of this kind of experiment to to work. Uh, I, I would straight up Nobody say else. they need him to be a tier one player. Like they it it has to for them to win a title, which is their ultimate goal with this roster. Yeah. He has to be a tier one player. I, I think I think if he's like a if he's if you know if he's a if he's a Jimmy Butler level player, say, uh, and they kind of reconsolidate some of the other stuff around him uh better um you know turn one or both of of Dinwiddie and Levert into you know shooting and you know um kind of big wing defense um then then I think that that's a that's a that's a that's a conference final plus level team yeah do you uh have you heard of my idea of Spencer Dinwiddie for Josh Richardson. I have not. That's my new favorite trade idea that actually like solves a million problems for both of those teams. There's no chance it'll ever happen because like, there's no way those two teams are going to do that. But yeah, right. I think that's a slight talent downgrade for Brooklyn, but I think it, it might make them a better team. Right. And like both of them only have one year left on the deal. Like it's fine yeah. in terms of like salaries. It's basically dead on yeah. in terms of salary money. Yeah. That's my uh, way to get the wing defense that Brooklyn needs while also solving a problem for Philadelphia. And that way Philadelphia can then use these draft picks to get off of like Al Horford's money. Although that, that does that, 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 that deal probably makes Philly even a worse shooting team than they are. Yeah. Just, um, you know, it, it's not that that Dinwiddie can't shoot, but I think that I think that Richardson's a better catch and shoot player, and certainly a more more willing off ball player. Yeah, but I, I want someone who can be like a willing on ball player in Philadelphia. Like I think that that's yeah. the most important thing going forward. Them finding a point guard who can be a willing on ball player in the half court. So. So do you think like if they get like a high level point guard, do you think like, you know, playing, you know, pick and roll with Simmons as a screener? Do you think that that's, you know, making him like super Draymond Green 
you think that yeah, I mean, might be a, like the. I think he's like Blake Griffin if they do that. Or like Clippers, Blake Griffin, not yeah. Pistons. Yes. Like uh, if he if he developed a jump shot like, uh, you know, like Pistons, Blake Griffin did, then we're talking about, you know, a, you know, we're talking about a, a top five ish player, aren't we? Yeah. It's never going to happen because he doesn't even, he just won't even countenance shooting them. But yeah, I mean, I, I think he's a jump shot away from being a top five player in the league. Like just straight up. I do. I, I don't think it's going to happen. Like, I think we're at the point now yeah. where we have to just like kind of assume that it's not going to happen. Um, and it's not, if, it's, it's the un- unwillingness as much as the inability. Right. The, he's, the, he's anti Jay Crowder. Or anti Marcus Smart. Oh my God. Um, Is there any other fun trade you have out there while I have you? I haven't even really kind of started thinking about trade machine stuff yet. Um, The uh, the Friday announcement that uh, that that we might be coming back as soon as 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 you know Christmas time um, caught me off guard a little bit. So oh, here, here's a terrifying one. Mark Stein just reported that um, December 1st has emerged as the likely opening day for training camps. Yeah. No, that I mean, that's, you know, that's working backwards. That's that's uh, oh, that, that, that's when it would be. So two yeah, weeks of free agency. Let's do it. Oh, boy. <laughs> let's let's cry, Seth. Let's let's get together on a Zoom and just uh just never yeah. see our families again. <laughs> well, the, well, no. The good thing is, is that I think that the games are going to be in normal windows, so it's not going to be, you know, for for you know the, yeah. the the bubble was great and terrible, and that there was it was like almost a summer league schedule of games. Um, but we're not we're not going to have that, so it's it it at least allows for you know some some kind of balance between watching basketball and doing anything else in your life. Um, the last thing I wanted to ask you about is the draft here. Uh, you mentioned that you don't, you haven't really dug deep on the players yet, and I'm not going to ask you about that. But do you have any general draft takes this year that you want to get off your chest? Um, I, I think that the Warriors should trade their pick for guys who can play now. Um, I don't, I don't know what that trade looks like. Um, I, you know, their, their window with, I think that the, the clock is ticking probably on Draymond as much as anybody else. Um, and, uh, I don't think they have time to, to, you know, open a mystery box and see what's in there. I think they need, they need guys now. Um, and I think it's a disservice to the, the players they have on their team to think about like transitioning. If so you're, that's, that's my- do you have a guy that makes sense? No. <laughs> the tough one is is like who like who is the player that they who is the player that they need? I don't know. Well, let's let's transition this to the tiers conversation. What tier of player do you think that they need to get to make it worth trading the number two pick in this draft? Um, a four or better, kind of a top seventy five guy or better. Yeah, like I don't so, think you I mean, could do. The guy would be Robert Covington, but he, that's not going to happen. Wait, why? If I'm Houston, I am a thousand percent trading Robert Covington for the number two pick. Okay, but 
Houston isn't doing that. Why would Houston not do that? Because um, Houston wants to, you know, Houston's going to ride this at least one more year before admitting defeat. But Tillman wants to save money. That's a fair point. And like Robert Covington's really good. Don't get me wrong. Like I really like Robert Covington and I think he's perfect for Golden State. And I think there's a case that it makes more sense for them to have Robert Covington than the number two pick. But if you're Houston, like you have some real concerns about what the transition out of this era looks like. And unlike the Warriors, you don't have any sort of proof oh, of concept. If, if, if I'm, if, if, if I'm running the, the, the Rockets, I think long and hard about that. I just think in, in reality, I don't think that, I don't think that they are, they are set up enough to, to, you know, make a tear down trade. I, I don't think that they have the, I don't think they have the, the wherewithal to pull the trigger on that. Yeah. I do. Uh, I, the, I mean, the money savings part. Okay. I think that's a, that's a, <laughs> like Robert Covington is a really good player, but yeah, I can't, uh, I can't imagine a circumstance where I'm, not moving Robert Covington for the number two pick. Like even it's hard for me to do that as a war. Like if I'm thinking about it from the warriors perspective, even like, I think I would do it because at the end of the day, he really solves a lot of problems for them. But man, a guy who isn't at all a creator, like can barely put the ball on the floor as a ball handler, um, elite level defensive player, obviously, but not even a great on-ball defender. There are a lot of holes there to go for the number two overall pick, even in a draft where that's like not the most attractive number two overall pick. Sneaky good rim protector. Um, very, I mean, obviously one of the one of the best like defensive hands guys in the league. Um, that's the kind of thing that would let Golden State play in transition. Where I mean, you want to see Clay Thompson ring the bell, get them out in transition. And, um, I, I, um, I, I looked this up at one point last year for his career. Clay Thompson is shooting like, I want to say somewhere like 57% from 3D in transition. Yeah, it's not human. Um, <laughs> see, like, I, I this I, is I where might, it gets tricky touch, too. I, I might be a touch high on that, but it's, it's, it's a, it's a ludicrous number. That so, so if you were Golden State, would you rather have Miles Turner or Robert Covington as for the number two overall pick, knowing that, you have an extra year of team control, I believe, on Turner. Man, that's a tough one. I think Covington is. I. I have concerns about. I have more concerns about Miles Turner getting played off the floor in the playoffs than I do for Robert Covington. I think I agree with that. I still think I would rather have Turner. I mean, that's you know, that's that's fair. Um, it's t- that's a tough one. That's a really, really yeah. tough one, I think. But like those those are the kind of deals. Like if you're Indiana, do you trade Miles Turner for the number two overall pick this year? I think they I think they run and hide if they get offered that, don't they? I mean they've they've kind of wanted to to sort of break up the find a way to break up the the Sabonis Turner combo for a, a, a minute, and that's you know. Um, you know, both that that is both a good trade and one that's I don't think it I don't think that's a hard trade to sell if you're if you're you know worried about that. Yeah, yeah, I, I would do that if I was Indiana as well. Um, I'm trying to think if there are other guys that make sense here. 
If you're Utah, do you do Joe Ingles? I I don't know if I I don't know if I do. That's a, that's a name I looked at. I don't know if I do that if I'm Golden State. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't do that if I'm Golden State. Um. So here here's a crazy one that'll never happen that I'll throw out there. You uh, Golden State calls up Toronto. Mm-hmm. Offers the number two pick for Pascal Siakam. Now you have to do the. There's, there'd have to be some kind of cap gymnastics to make it work. Is that a? Is that a? Is that a? A framework you even contemplate? wouldn't even think twice to not do it if I was Toronto. Really, would not do that if I was Toronto. Even I, I don't think I would do it for Ananobi even. Even so, it's, it's even considering that you know you kind of the all the all NBA voting went against you a little bit, and you're you're you know you're paying uh, Siakam what is it twenty seven five of the cap this year? Yeah, but your hope of attracting a star there next year hinges upon having a top twenty guy in the NBA. Um, you got Kyle plus, Lowry, right? But Kyle Lowry. Yeah. Part of like attracting a star involves getting rid of his cap hold. So, yeah, and like maybe he returns for cheap. Like that's not impossible necessarily, but like part of it is relinquishing any rights that you have to Kyle Lowry is their route to cap space, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I I don't think I would even do number two this year for Ananobi to be honest. Interesting. He's that. That's an interesting. Ananobi's a really interesting player to me. Yeah, uh, I, I just like kind of made the case about like guy who can't dribble, Robert Covington. Like guy who uh, is honestly streaky as a shooter. You know, similarly to Covington, Ananobi. I just think you can do so much more with Ananobi at the five than you can with Covington at the five because he's just bigger like i get that he's not necessarily as instinctual as a rim protector he's just bigger well in your well i mean in your closing line of draymond's playing the five anyway right so i like i think this is you know honestly you're talking about this this is a guy who's going to be your he's going to fit more into the kind of different style of player but he's going to fit more in the iguodala role than in the than like we're just gonna we're gonna play micro ball like they're gonna they're gonna start a center and yeah. play that and, way for decent amounts of game and then still try to, you know, I think still try to recreate something resembling the death lineup with, you know, with, with Wiggins out there. And, and like part of this is too, like Ananobi just has way more trade value than Covington because he has the restricted free agency rights and you're going to be able to keep him and pay him. Whereas with Covington, you have two years left, I believe. So yeah. It's he's just a much more valuable asset than Covington. Yeah, I know. Um, I, mean, I, I think I think yeah. I, mean, I think from an asset value standpoint, I think Ananobi is is has more than Siakam right now. Yeah, yeah, it's oh and more I, than some of that Siakam. Siakam with a max extension kicking in. I think that that's reasonable. The, yeah, yeah, coming off the playoffs that that he had. Which he he got. I mean, I think he's gotten a little too much, um, a little too much. You know, yeah. I mean, it's just like a guy who we kind of knew wasn't you know wasn't a first option. Struggled as a first option. Yeah. Like, you know, he. he, he, So you you win a title. One of one of the three best players in the league, who is your one first option, leaves in free agency for nothing. 
Um, and now a guy who is a who is a perfectly you know a really high level like third option suddenly has to vault into that and isn't you know from a game standpoint isn't well equipped for it and struggles. Doesn't mean he's a different player. It just means that he right. couldn't do the things you already knew he couldn't do. If you're New Orleans, let's say that you can do a three-team deal with Minnesota where Minnesota trades the James Johnson deal into the trade exception. Golden State can do James Johnson and something plus number two for Drew Holiday. Do you do that if you're New Orleans? If Drew tells you he's not going to resign long-term? I guess if Drew tells you he's not going to resign, sure. But it's like they already have kind of they have so many young guys they need to figure out anyway. Like I don't know, um, I, I you know I that but you kind of have to move him if he tells you he's not going to resign. Like this is the summer where you have yeah, to. Yeah, but him. I don't. Uh, but but I but I I don't know if you just adding and dropping another young guy in there now you're trying to develop Zion and you know Nikhil Alexander Walker and. Jackson Lonzo Hayes Ball and Brandon and, Ingram and Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram and you know it's the number two pick. It's for them. It's probably oh god. Did you want you want Lonzo and Lamelo on the same team or do you really hope that that Lonzo goes or do you you go Anthony Edwards because that like you don't even want to deal with that. I would probably take Lamelo. <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> They're very, they're so different as players that I yeah. think it'd be fine. I, I mean, like, look, I don't know. It'd be fine in the locker room necessarily. Right. But like, um, I'm just thinking dynamics and, and here you go, Stan. Yeah, maybe I wouldn't actually. That that it might be one situation where I don't do that. I might take LaMelo and trade Lonzo, but then you're pissing off LaMelo immediately. Yeah, there, there's no win circumstance there. If you're the Pelicans, this yeah. is a bad idea. This is a horrible idea. <laughs> I mean, you know, if it, if, if it was the, if it was like the, the second pick and, you, oh, wait, no, this is to Golden State. So it is the second pick. I thought it was Minnesota. It's the second pick. Yeah. Okay. So, so you're hoping that, I don't know, but if Minnesota has the one, who are, who are they taking? Like, who, who's Minnesota taking if they keep the pick? I will give Gerson Rosas and that staff credit. There is a very real uncertainty. In terms of what they will do. No one really knows. I mean, I think you can, for them, for anybody, I, I kind of feel like you for anybody, you can make a credible case for any of the top three guys, right? Like for I mean, Golden State. For, Golden for, State for like Minnesota, you can, like, you, you can make a case that none of those guys make sense is the problem. <laughs> That's a fair point, yeah. They, they, they make equal amounts of sense and it's low for right. all of them. Um, like for Golden State, like it's if, if they keep the pick, like they're going to take Wiseman, right? Cause I, for, I don't. For Golden State, did you say? Yeah, yeah. Um, I suppose maybe you talk yourself into Edwards, but I don't think like you know say like what if one of the other guys goes first? Can they take ball? Yeah, I do think that I don't know that I I, I feel least confident of them liking ball. Um, I do think that their like interest in Denny Avdia is real, like real enough to take him at number two over any of Lamelo Ball, Anthony Edwards. James Wiseman. I'm not necessarily convinced of that. Uh, early in the process, a lot of what I heard, and look, part of this is that Golden State is throwing so much smoke out there. Like, 
I tweeted earlier today, so far the Warriors have, have leaked or had reported interest in Anthony Edwards, James Wiseman, Denny of Dia, Tyrese Halliburton, Onyeka Okongwu, Obi Toppin, Killian Hayes, Devin Vassell. And then if you look at like my mentions, there are people like, oh yeah, they mentioned LaBella Ball. Oh yeah, they mentioned Sadiq Bey too. So like the Warriors front office is just throwing shit out there. Right. And <laughs> right. Like, I, I think that it's like if they trade down in the case of Steve. Okay. And like, same with Devin Vassell. Like, I think that like they're looking at guys if they trade down. And it's hard to say with the Warriors. Like, again, it, the dichotomy and the juxtaposition between the two teams at the top and the way that they've handled this process, despite both being extremely active in the trade market right now is very, very interesting because Minnesota has been basically silent. Like they've said, like, look, we're looking into potential trade options, but that's it. Like no one really has like an inside insight into what Minnesota is doing with Golden State. Everyone is reporting that they have an inside insight into what they're thinking and what they want to do. So the way that the two front offices have handled this is fascinating to me. And I think that in large part, it's because of the markets they're in. Like the consumership for Golden State Warriors content is so voracious that like there's always going to be reporting about the Warriors. So the Warriors front office just decided to put stuff out there at the end of the day right. instead Although of in like kind of I control it themselves. I've done... Uh, you know, we, we, you know, we, we can kind of see a little bit about that because we, you know, when we write about some teams and other teams, like, you know, people, when, when, when we've written about the Timberwolves, people read it. Like, they do for sure. Like a, yeah. they, they absolutely do. They, and I, a, I don't mean that as like a backhanded online fan base. <laughs> I, yeah. And I don't mean that as like a backhanded compliment or a backhanded statement toward the Timberwolves at all. It's not like they have an incredible fan base, but the thing is that it's just like a less, active media market in terms of like the people that are reporting on it. Like we have the best in the business with Krasinski, who's fucking incredible at it. And then beyond that, like it's not like a million people are chasing to write about the Timberwolves like they are the Warriors. So I think the Warriors front office kind of decided we're going to take this like bull by the horns mentality here and do it that way. I, I sort of feel like like this kind of like the draft smokescreen stuff. I feel like, you know, the teams that are super secretive about who's working out and we don't know anything. And, and like, I, they strike me as the kind of people who think that, like, you know, picking up tells at the poker table is really how you make your money. <laughs> um, and I just, you know, like, and I think the, the, the Warriors are the perfect example. Sure, there's a ton of information sure. out there. Uh, pull the signal out of that. Right. Like, no, 100%. Oh, they, they, they worked a guy out. I mean, yeah, they have the number two pick. They're going to work everybody out. Like you say, or at least what, 10 guys, like no, you're allowed to. No, we're not going to work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I mean, like in a normal year, it's like, okay, yeah, we're like a guy who's seventh in, in mock drafts. Is he going to say no to work out for the second pick? Right. And then the other problem is that like, if you're, cause you have Golden State, you're 48 and 51 as well, or something like that. Maybe it's like 49 and 52 or something. Um, yeah. If you work out one of those guys with your 10 slots who's slated to go somewhere between 45 and 60, it's like a dead giveaway that you're interested in that guy. So if you're the Warriors, you basically just have to work out the top 10 guys. 
Yeah, I mean that's I mean that's this year is is it's probably a little bit, but I in general I think that like the secrecy around that is is it's one of those what are we doing here guys kind of things like okay are you giving a tiny bit of information away maybe but like it's it's also it's a, it's you know if if it's something the fans find entertaining and want to engage with your team that way right like let's you know a little bit of give the people what they want here instead of like. You know that that you know tenth of a percentage point of extra information you might give someone with the best machine learning algorithm as to what you're going to do based on your, you know, based on the the aggregate of who's worked out for whom. It's like fine. Well, th- this year I would, if I was working in a front office, I would have concerns if I was the Warriors about bringing in a guy between forty five and sixty. Oh yeah, yeah, no, that's no, that's that's fair. With only like one of ten slots, but if you're in a normal year where like. For instance, teams like Utah and Boston tend to bring in like 90 guys like throughout the process. Like, yeah, just don't like I'm not worried about that. I'm like, I don't especially in a one on no setting. Like, what's a workout anyway? I'm not I don't I think the the bringing the guy in like the value there is the interview. Oh, no question. Yep. So and how much of that can you? Can you would you have already done over Zoom over the you know over the last couple of months anyway? No, I I totally agree with that, but like it also just like feigns interest in a way that I think is going to be concerning, right? Yeah, yeah. Like you you don't want to give away potential interest this year. I don't think. So, but this this is this is an interesting thing. This is something that Ben Falk has written about before. Is like, um, would we draft better if we didn't actually do like? team workouts yeah i i, I understand I, I know, the case for I, it but yeah, go I, ahead I, you I'm, you've worked not, on that side so please like go ahead no it's it's there's a situation where you know you've done you've worked on a guy for depending on how prominent like an aau player was you've you've worked on a guy for three or four years and 30 minutes of three on three is going to change your opinion on him um but i've seen it happen and I've heard about it happen. So, and it, it just, it, it doesn't, it's, it's like waiting that, you know, if you're going in looking at very specific questions you have about a guy that maybe could get answered in that, you know, situation, like, you know, okay, you, if you can't pick up like, you know, burst turning the corner on a pick and roll totally on film and you kind of want to see that yes or no. Okay, maybe that's something you can pick up in a workout setting, but like anything else, like the the tape is the tape. You know, you've you've worked on the guy, you've seen him in person, you've you've done the interviews, and 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 you know, letting what could be the guys. You know, we had uh, we had a guy who I won't name who we didn't draft and went behind us and has had a decent career. Um, and it turned out that he was on his, like, his 14th workout in, in three weeks or something like that. Right. And that happens a lot. And a lot of yeah. that ends up being, like, just like war of attrition stuff on yeah. workouts, too. He had, he had a bad workout. Well, yeah. He's been, you know, he's either worked out or been on a plane every day for a month. So it's, it's interesting, though, in, in cases of, guys who maybe didn't get a chance to show everything that they could in college. And, you know, someone that stands out to me is like you and I have talked about Bam out of bio before. And Bam is very clearly a guy who, you know, you look at Todd, uh, Todd Whitehead's, um, tears, right? 
and his uh, role allocations, he's a guy that comes in as like a post up big based off of the uh, based off of the designations and like you know breakdowns in terms of play types that he got in college. But getting a chance to see him in a workout setting where, you know, as you and I have talked about, like you told me, like he blew you guys away in a workout setting with like oh, just yeah. skills that you didn't get a chance to see. So like that, that part of it is interesting to me. Yeah, I think and that that's a that's a pretty narrow set of of guys who play for Kentucky. You know, guys who play for no seriously it's like guys who play for like okay they have six five star recruits on their team so a lot of them don't get to show everything they can do that's a that's a pretty narrow set of guys sure like like most most guys have the role that their skill allows them to have in college with with the exception of you know cal brings in five one and five he hopes one and dones every year We'll talk about the BAM workout in terms of what you saw, because I think that it is interesting in that context. So, I mean, it's just, just the, the, the things you saw were the speed, the ball handling, the agility, uh, and the strength. Like it's, it's, it's all stuff. Like I was, I was super high on him before he worked out for us. And then it was just like three trips up and down the floor. And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's the guy I want. And, and, uh, I was, I was informed after about five minutes of the workout was like, yeah, he's not getting to us. I was like, I know. <laughs> right. So, but, but yeah, no, it's wasn't it was, that far from getting to you though, either. Yeah. But it's, it was the, 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 like the, like again, the, the ball in hand skill level was, was the thing that like everything else, like the, like the, the defensive mobility and stuff like that. And, you know, ability to play kind of in a pick and roll, um, that was that was you knew about but then the ability to actually like run a dho beat a guy off the dribble uh make a pass um you know you 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 didn't see that in at, at kentucky and he's playing with De'Aaron fox and, and malik monk so it's not like a lot of ball to go around right, right. so um but then you in, in that setting you okay it's like oh he he can do that oh man i like this guy even more now it's not, not like i needed to be sold but it was um but that's like a circumstance where a guy like that gets pushed up your board at the end of the day. Yeah. Like, um, I'm, I'm, to be honest, I'm not even sure he got that, that pushed him up my board. He was, he was, you know, a, he was on, on, if, in, in my rankings of players, he was a top 10 guy that year. And he, that didn't, I don't know if it, how much higher could have pushed him, but it was still like, it was confirmatory at least. It's like, I know that's the guy I want. Right. Um, yeah, like I, I just can't get to the point where I'm like these workouts don't matter at all. It's I, I don't I don't I'm not going to go that far and say they don't matter, but I like they are dangerous. Yes, that's they the, are that's, dangerous. But like that's like you don't want to. You need to have like logic at the end of the day and like have like logical, rational people in charge. Like to me, that's like, that's a fault of the decision makers, not a fault of the process. You know what I mean? Yes, but it's also, I mean, it is a, it is a point in the process where it is. Yes. It would be a fault in the process, but it's also you're introducing a situation where there's a high likelihood of, of faulty process getting in, especially like draft workouts are kind of 
uh, the time when when a lot of people who haven't been involved in <laughs> the detailed study start to get it. No, seriously. Yeah. No, you're 100 percent right. And so that's you know, and, and and those tend to be people with some influence. Um, and you know, so that 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 is a way where that bias can. No, you know, the, okay, the, the the other guy you're you're considering at that spot didn't come work out for you, or had a had you know an okay workout, and is that going to be the is that going to be the tiebreaker? Uh, it could easily be, and I don't know, um, I don't know a way around that, but I don't think that's ideal. Yeah, Seth, do you have anything else? Well, go ahead. No. No, I'm just saying, like, like you know, we're 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 evaluating guys to play NBA basketball, and a three-on-three workout is not NBA basketball. Like, I don't, yeah. you know, I I I think that's something we we often miss when we're talking about you know draft guys. Anyway, we're not finding the best basketball player; we're finding the best NBA basketball player, which right. is sort of a subset. Right. And like the workout setting is not that either. Um, and in some ways, it can show similar things. In some ways, it can fool you. Right. No, I, I generally do actually agree with that. And I think that finding a way to do something different in workouts and frankly, like you brought up the fact too, that like these interviews and getting to know more about the kid involved, like that's so much more important than seeing what a kid looks like in person, like in a three on three setting. The big problem and you bring it up perfectly is that there are a lot of voices in the room and a lot of those voices tend to get involved later and it can lead to imperfect and impractical decision-making at the end of the day in a way that makes the process less of a science than we like to think. Right. I I mean, I I think it's, I think it's more the art than science, you know, done, done correctly. So it just, it, it does, that does have a way of distorting things a little bit. Seth, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people you've got going on in your life. Um, so I'm at Seth part now on Twitter. And if you haven't uh, read the, the uh, player tier series, um, it's uh, five parts and, uh, Kind of broke down the what I see is the top 20, 125 players, and I, and we didn't really talk about it, but I explained more about the methodology, at, you know, how I arrived at, at you know the size and shapes of various tiers. Um, so uh, I would encourage you to read that, and uh, um, then come yell at me about it on Twitter. Um, and you know, I, I'm up for a discussion always about it. I encourage everyone to go yell at Seth Part now. Uh, it makes my life on Twitter more enjoyable. So please go yell into the void of Seth part. Now uh, this has been Sam Vecini with the game theory podcast. Please remember rate review, subscribe, do everything you can to support the podcast. We will be back next week with more, but until next time we'll talk soon. Bye. Bye.